We aim to bring you interviews with business leaders, business news, as well as having a little bit of fun. Radio PC met with Mark Evans. Mark graduated from Nottingham University and later went on to become CEO at 118. He's now marketing director at Direct Life. Robin and Jack went to meet with him for a chat. Let's hear how they got on. Hi Mark, thanks for meeting with us today. You've worked at a variety of companies during your illustrious career. Could you give us an insight into how your career path has progressed? Yes, yeah, so the word I'd use to characterise it is probably haphazard. Uh, it's never really been particularly planned and I've been fortunate to benefit from serendipity. Um, and I guess I've always just believed that probably good things happen to good people. Um, and that really starts from the outset. I was destined for a career in finance and before I'd even joined the company there was a, a big uh, merger and my graduate job disappeared in a puff of smoke. So I went back to university and did a master's and bought myself another year and then decided to go down a completely different route. So, um, yeah, my career path, in a word, would be uh, somewhat haphazard, but in a good way. Uh, and what, what drew you to marketing? So, uh, as I said, I was intending to go into a career in finance. Um, and because I'd had a year out before university and then a year out as a sabbatical post during the middle of university and then did a master's, I was sort of about three years behind uh, many of my friends that I played rugby with and all the ones in finance city jobs were really miserable and all the people I knew that were in marketing careers were really excited about what they were doing so I suppose second time round on the milk round I was pretty single-minded about wanting to go into marketing uh, on the basis of their their uh, careers to that point uh, and so I applied for Mars and Unilever and P&G and all, all the usual suspects and um, through that research process, it became reinforcing, it was self-reinforced that uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I suppose the bit appealed was the, the variety, um, the many sectors that you could go and work within. And ultimately, the purpose of marketing is to change, improve people's lives. Um, so I think there's a sort of a, something good that sits behind much of what marketing seeks to achieve. It's sort of a, a good turn of events that has given me 20 really good years in, um, in an industry that I love. You played a lot of sport at university. What did you pick up from this that's helped you in your career? So rugby's kind of my thing. And so the main thing I picked up at university was probably the, the leadership skills uh, and teamworking skills that are implicit to rugby as a sport. And it's really sort of framed all my attitudes to uh, leadership and business and probably life as well. Um, so maybe an atypical answer. I learned some stuff about economics and I did have a good time. But actually, uh, the leadership skills that are inherent to rugby is probably the thing that's served me, in, um, you know, served me most through the years. If you were looking for a graduate, um, what, what skills specifically would you look for? I think there's a balance between people who have got the pure brain power and those that can actually connect with people. Uh, so marketing is so much about influence and uh, you know, just getting the data, the supporting data, is really only half the battle because that can easily be withered away if you're not compelling and influential in the way you come across and relate to other people. So I think it's, it's got to be those things in equal measure. And, and um, not, neither in isolation is really enough, I think, to be effective over the long term in a marketing career. So, uh, and, and there's lots of signals of, of, of that balance. So a, a level of smarts would come through in qualifications. But, you know, the, all the things that people do outside of academia, I think, is just as important. Um, so... What are the main marketing issues that Direct Line Group face at the moment and how are you overcoming them? Well, probably the, the single biggest challenge that we face is that 
insurers aren't trusted. And there's a, there's a really is a, a horrible cycle that we need to break out of, which is that people, the, the, the market has become commoditized, which has led people to be fairly apathetic and lacking in trust. And that, that if you like, has been a vicious circle probably for the last 15 years. So it's a low interest category, it's a low trust category, it's a commoditized market. Um, and so we, you know, we need to do something quite dramatic to break out of that, that nasty little cycle. Uh, and uh, that actually means that we need to totally refabricate the, uh, the Direct Line brand. And we actually, for the second half of this year, we're, we're well on track towards doing a fundamental relaunch of the Direct Line brand. You know, for me, very exciting. This is sort of the reason you become a marketeer is to take a brand which has potentially lost its way a bit and reinvigorate it. Uh, redefine its its purpose, um, the space that it wants to occupy in consumers' minds, and and, and in this case, uh, the whole category has lost the benefit of why it exists. You know, insurance is there to protect and put right in people's darkest hour, and it's been so fixated about price and the point of purchase, and totally lost the fact that it's there to provide a service in people's point of need. That I think it's it's uh, quite unique that you'd find that a whole the whole category need is the unmet need, which is unoccupied, that we can really go after. So, uh, you know, in, in a nutshell, we need to sort of reinvent our master brand, the name above the door, the brand that pays the wages. So quite high stakes, but extremely exciting as, a, as an opportunity, as a marketeer. So there's a bit of an issue in the insurance industry in that uh, there's a bit of a lack of trust um, from consumers. Um, how, how do you go about regaining that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a process that goes behind that, understanding from a segmentation and market mapping point of view what, what the big needs are um, and developing the communication strategy and the brand strategy and testing that rigorously. Uh, but, I mean, specifically in the case of the Direct Line brand, um, no, no brand in insurance for a number of years has really uh, demonstrated and given belief that it will be there, it will work. And it's really strange that people buy purely based on price and, and, and actually don't even really know what they're buying in many cases. And so in the end, they end up being disappointed because they didn't realize that they'd actually bought this rather than that. And, and, and such has been the level of sort of apathy and disengagement. So, um, yeah, so for, for us, we want to go out there and be evidentially the brand that will fix it, that will be there in your hour of need. So there's new propositions new communications, redefined our customer experience strategy for the Direct Line brand. Many, many elements, a lot of internal orchestration. Uh, and so if you like the, the digital experience, the customer experience, uh, the contact center experience, all acts as a foundation to the propositions and the communication. And actually one without the other is kind of pointless because as soon as people experience the brand, they just won't believe what we're trying to uh, what we're trying to, to, to stand for in people's minds. So from, you came to visit Pearson College uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, from your experience of that, could you tell us one thing that we did well and one thing that we needed to improve on? So, so first off, I, I did have a great experience coming in to hear the groups present back on, uh, you know, on the, the challenge. Uh, and it was, uh, I said at the time to Els and Richie who had organised it, it was you know, a genuinely interesting and different evening to be stimulated by some sort of new thinking, new ideas, new propositions. So first off, thank you for, for, for that opportunity. It was a real privilege. Um, in terms of the things to improve, well, it, was, it, was hard, it is hard to generalise because obviously a lot of the groups are very different. 
Um, and I know it was, um, you know, so it, it, it is hard to generalise. But I think the, the main thing I would say is that the, um, all the groups, to a different degree, but pretty much could bring a bit more commercial rigour into their proposals. Um, and, I, and I suppose that the reason I emphasise that is not necessarily that it was awful, but I think the big challenge that marketing gets in data-driven, financially-oriented, successful companies is, is the challenge around um, the commerciality. What's been your, your proudest achievement or creation in marketing? Uh, I think most marketers would say the first advertising campaign that they took from beginning to end. You know, it, it, there, there is a, a cachet, a glamour, an excitement uh, in making TV ads. And I can remember ringing my mum up and saying, you know, watch it at Coronation Street, 7.37 tonight or whatever it is. Um, I think you know that's you know that you've accumulated enough skills to have um, the accountability and autonomy within a company to make advertising that's in the end is going to cost hundreds of thousands of pounds to make and probably millions of pounds to to uh, of media spend to to get it on air. So yeah, f- first ad campaign, start to finish, was definitely my my highlight, and I still get a bit of a buzz. I don't do very much of it now, but get a bit of a buzz of the advertising campaign process. Because it really is the crystallisation of everything that you intend. Uh, yeah, is there a book that you would recommend, a specific book for anyone looking to go into marketing? So I, I'd recommend a book that I've given a copy to of, of everybody in, in my team, both in this organisation and in my last organisation. Uh, and it's a bit unusual as a book, I suppose. And it was given to me by my mentor when I first joined my first organisation. And it's called Oh, The Places You'll Go uh, by a chap called Dr. Zeus. And and Dr. Zeus, probably many people will be aware, writes children's books. And, uh, but as ever, with many children's stories, there's sort of layers to it and you can read many more things into it than the mind of a child would, would see. And oh, oh, the places you'll go is very much a depiction of life's journey, that there will be ups and downs, um, dark places, good places. You'll need to rebound. You'll need to have resilience. You will recover. You will go on and do great things. Um, and I think, you know, it really does capture uh, life's rich journey. Um, what skill that you've picked up do you use most in your day-to-day life? Well, I said it on the evening at, at, um, at Pearson College itself that I think it's a lot about influence and it's all very well having great ideas and having great data um, but but ultimately it's useless if you can't actually influence people all right well thank you for your time that was brilliant that was really nice so really big thank you to Mark uh, for taking the time out uh, to do that interview. I think we learned quite a lot from that. Um, although I wouldn't have expected a, a recommendation for Dr. Zeus's book, um, but there you go. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to working at Direct Line for eight weeks for our internship programme. Jack and I will be in different departments, but it should be a really exciting opportunity for us. Yeah, um, yeah really big thank you to, to Mark. And now for something completely different. Time for a bit of fun. Take it away, Jack. It's uh, stay afloat with your movie, our movie <laughs> quote. Any movie quote, just a movie quote. Why is it called that? It's called that because... Um, we can't tell them, can we? Otherwise, like, <laughs> is it a way of it? Uh, uh, this yeah. week's movie quote has a theme to do with the title. That's generally how it's going to play out. Uh, the movie quote will be related to what we've just said. So staying afloat to the movie quote 
has some relevance to what the movie quote we're about to say. Could it be to do with shipping? Or icebergs? Or women and children first? Rubber ducks? Maybe. Maybe it's about the Caribbean. What do they have to do, Robbie? Oh, yeah, that's important, isn't it? (laughs) Wait, what's this? There's something coming up here. It's the iceberg. Okay, so this is the aim of the game. We'll read out a quote, and you've got to figure out which film it's from, and the next line of the film. Tweet us your answers at blurb PCSA. So here's the quote. I'll never let go. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Robbie. So that was our quote. Don't forget to tweet us with your answers and also special credits to the funniest answer, which we'll record ourselves next week. Now it's time for In the Pub. Each podcast will take a member of Pearson staff out to the pub and find out a little bit more about them. This week we took Will to the Lemon Tree. In the pub. In the pub with Pearson staff. In the pub. This time it's with Will. Holt. Holt. Cool. So, same. Um, Alright, moral question. Let's say you are in a race car. Okay. And you're driving along your tracks yeah. and you realise that your brakes have gone. Okay. You've only got your steering. Yeah. Ahead of you, you see that there are five workers like, digging away yeah. uh, on the track. And you know that if you hit them, you'll kill all of them. Then notice that to one side is uh, a a little fork where there's three workers working on the track. Do you steer off to hit the three and kill the three? The problem is, um, I teach ethics. So I could talk to you about you know the utilitarianism of it and actually trying to save the the, uh, the five people, or trying to save, kill three people rather than five people is better because you save more people. But then you basically saying, would I kill someone at all? But you're saying there's no option, aren't you? I'm saying there's literally it's the choice between three and five. Uh, well, I'd, I'd have to go for three because then I'm killing less people. That would be my, my moral choice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you don't know. So now, <laughs> um, you're in the, you're a spectator in the stadium. Yep. And you are observing this situation unfold. You yep. know that the drivers' brakes and whatnot have gone. It's only the five workers in the track there's no three options yes and you're kind of sat back slightly concerned that these five workers are going to all get killed but then you notice that a rather large gentleman in front of you is leaning over and all it would take would be a little shove for him to then fall into the way of the car yeah sacrificing his one life yes for the five lives yes do you kick him now you're asking me basically would I kill 
I have a choice at this point, don't I, whether I kill someone or not. Um, would I kill someone to save three or five people's lives? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What a horrible question. Um, um, uh, probably not. No. Uh, th- just just the, 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 the responsibility of actually killing someone would... It's c- completely selfish, but um, no. I have been vindicated. Jack is looking at me with a very uh, moral, moralistic viewpoint. What do you do? I... I don't... Possibly. Possibly. Um, really? Yeah. So you, you could live with your conscience to actually push someone knowing that you'll kill them? See, I think it would be a sacrifice of living without the conscience of having left the five people. But surely if you're in a crowd of spectators as well, someone on either side of you could do the same thing. And therefore it's not necessarily your responsibility to push that person over. Oh, but then it's, then it's nobody's going to do it, because if everybody thought that way... Well, it's like the um, it's like the uh, American uh, killing system, isn't it, for, for capital punishment? They have three people, and all three of them push the button, but one, each one does not know whether or not they've actually you know, done the deeds. Yeah. Interesting. You, you're going to love my business ethics lectures <laughs> next, next year. A little bit of a club there. You've got to choose. You've got to come. Yes. <laughs> uh, next question. Next question. Do you want to? Well, I don't know. I was go. just going to go with what is your favourite pill? Um, the Big Lebowski. The what? The Big Lebowski. Oh. It's got Jeff Bridges in it, and uh, um, it's just amazing. So, have you seen it? Yeah. What he's the dude he's from California and he loves bowling and then it's just a very uh, silly yeah, story yeah, yeah. with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it and it's yeah, it's, yeah brilliant okay. it's so I like that because I would normally be like oh I don't know I've got like a top ten and I wish I could just say I've got one film I, I, I get that I mean, music I could not say what my favourite album is but with films that's just the one film that I always go back to <laughs> <laughs> see questions She's been scrubbed for my eyes. What else have we got? Oh, um, do you have a best, worst job or yes. job? Uh, yes, totally. Um, uh, my worst job ever was packing boxes for um, in a box factory for eight weeks when I was a student. Packing boxes in a box factory? Literally, I, it was a box factory. So I was there assembling boxes all day long. I had to start at six in the morning and I finished at four in the afternoon. And I had half an hour off lunch and my hands bled every day on uh, assembly. And at that point, I realised I needed to get a degree. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yes. Any uh, bad interviews? Bad interview experiences or um, just this one? <laughs> I'm AJ. I'm AJ. I don't get interviewed very often. This is uh, yeah. No, like job interviews. Oh, job interviews. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, no, no. I was going to say. No, and everyone wants to know what I think. Um, 
Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you learn quite a lot. Um, and when I left university, I was hopeless because um, as, as good as my degree was, and as much fun as it was, I didn't know the first thing about business, having done a business degree. And um, in terms of the practicalities of working in a business, I, just, I didn't know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I had a couple of interviews and it was... You, you learn quickly from doing it, so the more you practice, the better. My worst one was an interview, and it was on November the 11th yeah. at, say, quarter to 11, and I was sitting there being interviewed, and the buzzer went around the building for the two-minute silence, and I was sitting there going, okay, this is fine, a bit awkward, but fine, and then I looked... And I thought about what I was doing, and I was in an interview with a German. The guy interviewing me was German, so I'm sitting here in a two-minute so silence. this is the moral, incident, moral question again, is it? Did you stop talking, or did you go? <laughs> 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 I don't know what to do, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> No, no, nothing like that's ever happened to me so far. <laughs> um, oh, I'll tell you about a good interview though that I had once. Um, was, uh, I better not say who it is, but um, it, no from Pearson, I should add. But uh, someone had a previous employer was interviewing me for a, a job, an internal job. And um, he dropped his handkerchief on the floor. And he, he looked at me and he said, Make me pick that up. And I was like, what? He's like, you know, make me pick that up. And he was, he was testing to see you know, if I was you know, tough enough for this job. So I ended up screaming at this guy and saying, that handkerchief up. And um, it was just, it was the weirdest, most surreal thing that ever happened. But, um, but, but you have to be prepared for random questions like that. Because people do, you know, some interviewers are, are sadists. Did you hear about the one, I think it was Park, they were in a big high-rise, and they said, can you go and open the window? It's a bit warm. They were in like the 15th floor in a high-rise, and of course you can't open the windows. Yeah. If you've got up to go and open the window, that's it. Straight out, no sit-down questions. I think I'd get up. <laughs> I would, yeah. yeah, they're saying get up and open the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Everyone's noting that one down, just in case they were getting something in the future. Never open the window. <laughs> uh, any of these? Um, ideal Friday night. I mean, obviously, other than being interviewed. Yes. Um, uh, I'm getting old these days, so I'm always exhausted by Friday night. So Friday night for me now is just a glass of wine and sitting down with the other half. It's not very cool, is it? Yeah, I think we might all agree. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, but yes, that, that sounds, sounds amazing. Do you want to... Oh, right, off the list. Have you ever wanted to run your own business? Yes. Yes. What is um, it? Was it well, a big secret? Um, well, no, I can tell you about it now, because someone else has done it. Oh. But, um... So it won't be this, but uh, I wanted to set up almost uh, an anti-Facebook, so an unsocial network. So the whole point of social networking is that it's you project yourself as you want other people to see you, which consequently means that people aren't often themselves. So 
my idea was to have almost an anonymous diary of your life that was for you, that people could view your entries but not know who you were. So you could express views about anything, but they would not be attributed to you. So you can, if, if someone else went onto this, this network and could see comments about a particular subject, the idea would be that they get honest views, they get people, what people really feel about something. Um, it's, been it's been done apparently, yeah. 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 Otherwise, I'd be, I'd be doing it. So yes, so, yeah, I'd love to have this. I came up with an idea in uni to have coffee bags. Coffee bags. Yeah, and then I was, and then there was a little bit of a discussion around how that might work yeah. and whether it would work and whether it would actually make decent coffee. And then uh, I don't know if you watched Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah. But the new series, a woman got three offers for this brand that she'd made coffee bags. It's really annoying. And I was like, hey, she did, like, it was like £100,000 for like 20% of the profits. I'm like, so upset. Okay, so thanks for uh, listening, guys. Thanks for downloading. Uh, I hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, if anyone does want to like get involved, uh, anyone wants to interview anyone, um, that's that's really cool. Just um, grab one of us, um, and we'll chuck you a radio uh, or microphone. Actually, because radio you can't really record on. Um, it's, it's more a microphone that you need. Um, so yeah, we'll leave you with some some outtakes. I could just go and nab his bits and then distribute them if he's if you know he's a bad man. Shout outs to Mark Evans, that direct line for that, and also the training service that Bromley South. They provided us with an excellent and smooth journey to get to direct lines offices. <laughs>